But as we catch back up uh, to our Lord and His disciples today, we're still seeing more encouragement coming from our Lord, more instruction, more promises of things to come, and more of what we have seen in these last three chapters of John. Um, In chapters 13, 14, and 15 that we have been through, we have seen some what uh, many would call family affair. We've seen our Lord, the Master, wash His disciples' feet, pray for and encourage them, promise them uh, things, like I said, of things to come. He exposed the traitor in their midst and got rid of him, Judas. And He has explained to them that He is the vine that supplies all they need to be fruitful in the kingdom. That His Father is the vine dresser who is keeping them clean, who is pruning them back, lifting them up when they need it, as to not be cumbered about with so many distractions and such. He's really taking them in as children and trying to encourage them for what they are about to walk through. And at many points in this Paschal Discourse, our Lord almost sounds like a parent trying to uh, get the child to understand something that maybe is just a little above their understanding, a little above their heads, as we would say. And you know how it is, parents. You, your child asks you, what, what are you doing, Mommy? How come you're separating the, the yolk? What are you doing with the egg? And you, maybe you're separating the egg whites from the yolk. And, and instead of going into the whole, well, you have to separate this because the yolk is thicker, and if you're going to whip this into the meringue that I put on top of that pie that you like, you know, you don't do that. You just say, Mommy has to do this in order to make that pie you like. Keep it simple, right? You don't go into all the, the, the science of it and the details. If your child asks you something that it's not going to benefit them to know the details. So it's kind of what our Lord is trying to do here with these, these men. He's trying to be direct and, and matter-of-fact with them. But uh, they're still thinking on a, on a physical level here. They're still thinking on this, this earthly realm. And He's trying to get them to see spiritually what he's talking about. He's talking up here and they're down here. So he's, he's trying to meet them where they are. Um, so with that in mind, let's open our Bibles to John chapter 15. And we'll just dive right in here. I'm going to pick it up in verse 9 because that's where I left off last time. He says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Let's pray. Father, Lord, 
your word is so faithful and so true and lord so encouraging as we see you encourage these 11 men standing before you as little children lord may we glean uh, the same joy the same encouragement uh, that they did and that we would carry on as they did with the commission you gave them and us. Lord, I just pray that you would loose these stammering lips of mine, that you would cause me to speak only what you have put in my heart, what is right and true in your word. And Lord, that it would be much encouragement to us here and that you, Lord, you would be exalted in the process. And I ask this not in my merit, but in the merit of the only begotten Son, in whose name I pray. Amen. So again, we see family affair here. We see uh, the Lord telling his disciples, just as the Father loved me, I have loved you. Just as I have kept my Father's commandment, so you keep my commandments. Just as the Father told me, I tell you. It's, it's this bringing them into the family, more into the, the huddle, if you will. It's it's taking it from one level to another level. Then he confirms it. He says, no longer do I call you servants. Because in those days, they had servants. And, and servants were really part of the family. They, they, you know, in Abraham's day, God told him to circumcise all the males in his household. It wasn't just his sons and himself. It was all the male servants, their sons. So they were really considered part of the family in a sense. But here he says, a servant does not know what his master is doing. And that's true. A servant only does what his master tells him to do. He tells him to go do this. The, the servant doesn't say, well, why do you want me to do that? What, what's, what's the purpose in that? He just goes and does it. He may not even know and see what the end result is. But that's what a servant does. And he said, no longer do I call you servants. You are no longer servants, but I have called you friends. He takes it to a whole nother level. He brings it to another level of intimacy here. My grandpa used to tell me when I was a kid, he, would, he always had these sayings. And, and I spent a lot of time around my grandpa when I was young. I didn't have a dad, so uh, I spent time with my grandpa. And he'd always say, darn my boy, whenever he's going to tell me something. Darn my boy. He'd say, you know, if a man has one good dog in his life, He's lucky. He's a lucky man. And other times he would say, if a man has one good horse, my grandpa always had a horse and he always rode a horse. If a man has one good horse in his life, he can consider himself lucky. And, and then he would say, more than that, he would say, you know, if a man has one true friend in his life, one good friend in his life, he'd say he's, he's fortunate. We would say he'd be blessed. But he... Grandpa wasn't a believer, he was an atheist, but that's, that was his thing, and, he, and I think he was right. Now, I don't know if my grandpa considered his wife to be his friend in that context. I kind of doubt it. But for me, my best friend is my wife, and I would hope that I am her best friend. But she would even tell you that mine and her fastest and truest friend 
is the Lord Jesus Christ. Above and beyond our relationship with each other. Here on earth, she is my best friend. And I am hers. But in all reality, it's the Lord who is the best and true friend. And I hope that's true in your marriage. You know, we sing that hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Can we find a friend so faithful? Take it to the Lord in prayer. What is the definition of a true friend then? Well, I could say, I mean, I think we could say what we just, what we would sing in that hymn. The words of that hymn are true. We have, in, in Christ, we have a friend who's willing to take our burdens, our griefs, even our sin he took from us. He, we have a friend who, who will shoulder our load and who will be there when we're tempted, when we're tried, when we're cumbered about with such a heavy load. He's there to shoulder it with us. That's one definition. In my Logos program, I looked it up. The word that is used for friends there is one who has a special interest in another. One who is beloved, dear, loving, kindly disposed, devoted to the cause of another. That would be the technical definition. But how do we define a true friend? How do we define what a true friend is? I'm not talking about an acquaintance from work or school or, or, or some other thing, another job or something, or a buddy that you go and do things with or hang out with on weekends that maybe you go hunting with. That, that's a buddy. That's an acquaintance. But I'm talking about a true dyed-in-the-wool friend. Have you ever had a friend that was as true and sincere as they get? As my grandpa said, that one true friend that you would consider yourself blessed, fortunate to have in your life if you just had one of them? And I would imagine... I mean, my grandpa had a lot of friends. He had a lot of men who would call him friend. He was a very friendly guy, and he, he tended bars and owned bars and casinos and stuff. So he, he had a lot of people who would call him a friend, but he said if a man has one true friend, one true solid friend, I would imagine most of us here could say that we've had many friends. I've had, I've had many people who I would consider friends over the years. But how many true friends have you had? How many true friends like Christ is talking about here have we had? Proverbs 18 says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So a man, if he is to have friends, good friends, must himself be friendly, and that would exclude a lot of men that I know in my life that I grew up with, grew up with a lot of men that were not friendly. 
But that is the essence of friendship, isn't it? It is having someone who you can share all your dreams, all your desires, even your fears with. And they with you. Proverbs also says in chapter 27, Do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend, nor go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor close by than a brother far away. What's Solomon saying there? He's saying it is better to rely on the bonds of friendship than to trust in a blood relative. Even a neighbor can be more trustworthy than a family member sometimes. But the idea is that a true friend will always be there for you and that you should be there for him or her. Friends share all things with each other, don't they? All their secrets, all their joys, their trials, their deepest concerns of life. Friends love one another, care for one another. They defend one another, don't they? If you have an enemy, your friend has an enemy. If your friend has an enemy, he's an enemy of yours. If somebody has an issue with you, they've got an issue with your friend. If he's a true friend. And listen, most most important, friends speak truth to one another, don't they? That's a sign of a true friend. One who will speak truth to you. Who will tell you, maybe not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. Even if it hurts the other for a time. They love that person so much that they would rather risk hurting their feelings or hurting them than to let them go on in error. The wounds of a friend are faithful, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You see, friends believe one another as well. There must be an absolute trust between true friends. James says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he says Abraham was called what? The friend of God. Can you have a friend that you can't trust? Can you have a friend that you cannot trust or believe half the time or part of the time? No, that deceit will always nullify a true friendship. Yet many of us have people in our lives that we would call friends who don't always speak truth to us. Who we cannot share our deepest secrets with because they'll go and tell someone else. And some of us have so-called friends that if you called them in a real pinch, they wouldn't throw down what they're doing to come help you. They wouldn't be there for you in your hour of need. I always say, if you want to know who your true friend is, move and see who shows up to help you. <laughs> All right? Or call them at 2 o'clock in the morning and say, you buried your truck in the mud, I need help. Friendship is a two-way street, so to speak, or a door that swings both ways, we could say. It, it's give and take. It's not just take, 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 or give, give, give. It's, it's two-sided. And you can bet if Jesus calls you a friend, he would be all of that and more to you. Amen? Well, there's good news for those who are counted in the number. Those of us who have been born again, who have seen the error in our way, who have 
realized that we are enemies of Christ and repented of that sin and asked God to forgive us who have believed on the, the work of the cross for salvation, who are now a new creation in Christ. The old man has passed away. The new man reigns. If you're that, let me tell you, you have a friend in Jesus. You have a friend in Jesus. He is the one who sticks closer than a brother. And any enemy of ours is an enemy of his, and any enemy of his should be an enemy of ours. Amen? James also tells us that friendship with the world is what? Enmity with God. So then the natural man is an enemy of Christ. He is moved and motivated by the devil himself, the arch enemy of God. And if we try to remain friends with the world, we put ourselves at enmity with Christ. You cannot have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of heaven. What's the old saying? He that rideth sit on the fence, ripeth his pants. <clears throat> you can't do both. And I would never trust a man or a woman that can be friends with the world and friends with Christ. That's a double-minded man, and I, my Bible says he's unstable in all of his ways. And I grew up with people who would claim to be your friends, lots of them. And then you would see them the next day hanging out with your worst enemy. And then the next day they would be back befriending you again. They would play both sides. and <clears throat> That's a Mr. Faces both ways, as Bunyan would call him. I like that. It really gets the picture, doesn't it? A Mr. Faces both ways. A double-minded man. There's an old proverb that says you can't choose your family, but you can choose your friends. Well, in chapter 15 of John's Gospel, we see Christ the Lord doing both. He is by choosing his friends, in fact, choosing his family as well, isn't he? And brethren, let me just say, we should be doing the same. Many of us here in this room have come through probably one of the toughest years ever as family affair goes. Most of us here have had issues, severe issues in our families this year. More than many of us can remember. But if we look around us right now, if you look to your right or your left, behind you, in front of you, this is your family. This is a true family right here. This is hopefully ones you can count on. We had a family member ask Lori some time back, why does the church seem to be so exclusive? And Lori's reply was, it must be that way in order to stay pure. The church has got to stay pure. And the key to that is found in verse 16 today. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And what? That your fruit should remain. Chapter 14, we saw grace. 13 and 14, we saw a lot of grace. We see the Lord saying, I will go and prepare a place for you. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
no one comes to the Father but by me. It was all about him and his grace and what he was doing for the church, for these men. But now in chapter 15, we see him switching it up and saying, you must continue my word. You must abide in my word and I in you. You are clean. You must love one another. It's He's shifted it now to man's responsibility. You need to be doing this. You should be doing this. You're going to be required of this. As I said, that's man's responsibility. And you weigh that over and against the previous two chapters where we saw God's sovereignty. And we say, well, how to some people ask, how can you reconcile God's sovereignty with man's responsibility, especially in salvation? If God chooses, how can you hold man responsible? No, you're responsible, believe it. God chooses you, and you're responsible. <clears throat> it's man's responsibility, God's sovereignty. Charles Spurgeon says these two don't need to be reconciled because they're perfect friends, like we're talking they walk together hand in hand. And again, if we look at who is speaking and, and to whom he's speaking to and what he's saying here in this, this chapter 15, it's Jesus the Lord talking to his disciples. And what is he telling them? He's saying, listen, I'm going away. You don't know where I'm going, but you will. But I'm leaving you to carry on. You are in charge. You're going to have to carry the load. But, he says, I'm leaving you an example. It's love. It's love. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for a friend for his friends. And that's exactly what our Lord is going to do. And these men haven't quite caught on yet. The fruit here is love. It's the first in the list in Galatians 5, right? You know the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I think that's it, nine of them. Notice he gives the first two right here. Love and joy. My love is in you. My joy will remain in you. And, and earlier in chapter 15, we saw peace, right? Peace I give you. My peace I leave with you. So there's three, the first three of that list of the fruits of the Spirit. And, the, and the, the context of this chapter is the vine, the branches, the fruit, the vine dresser. Who's keeping everything in context here. And let me just say, we are called to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. We stopped and visited Thomas's old pastor, Philip, and his family and the group that's worshiping with him in his home now. And they just went through a horrible church split because of church discipline, similar to what happened here with us. <clears throat> But thank God, Phil knows, we're not to be peacekeepers. Slothful peace is kept by effeminate peacekeepers. And it's false peace. And it will never last. It will never work. So tired of people saying, well, we just need to get along. Why do you have to be so mean? It's not. It's what God's Word says. That's why the church is exclusive. 
And anybody who wants to be a peacekeeper instead of a peacemaker is not going to be a true friend. If they're willing to just let things ride and let just so you can stay friends, that's not a true friend. Eventually, that thing will rear its ugly head and fester up and it will become an open wound. The next thing I want to look at is the caveat, if you will, or uh, the obligation that comes with being a friend of Christ. If you keep my commandments, if you love one another. You see, there's, a, there's an obligation here. It's not an earning of the friendship, but rather an evidence of it. The reciprocation of that bond. Does the world love one another? Does the world keep the Lord's commandments? Is the world a friend of God or a son of God? No. There's your exclusivity right there. And in case you struggle with that, know this. It's by design. His design. It's not ours. It's his. But someone will always say, well, who gets in then? Or who, who are you to say who gets in? I've heard that. Listen, it, it's not my choice. It's not Larry's choice. It's not Kyle's. It's not, it's not our choice. It says those whom the Lord chooses. You did not choose me, he said. He chooses his friends. As I said earlier, we can choose our friends, and our friends can choose us here on this earth, but Christ chooses who will be his friends, and that's it. That's it. When I was a, a young, foolish, reckless young man, I had a truck that was called Bad Rep. Had it painted right on the door. That's how stupid I was. Short for bad reputation. That was me. <clears throat> and that truck became kind of legendary around that area as the Bad Rep. And I became, that was my identity. I was Bad Rep. I wasn't Darren anymore. I was Bad Rep because of this truck that was... You know, so I built it for four-wheeling, a big jacked-up Ford with tires and mud tires and everything. But we used to go, we'd clean them all up on the weekends sometimes, and we would go to Reno and cruise Maine. You guys probably don't even know what that is. But we would go back and forth on Main Street with our trucks, revving them up and spinning our tires and showing off. And Well, one night I, was, I left my truck at home, and I rode with some friends. I rode with my buddy, Daryl, and we went down and, we cruised Maine a little bit, and then we always ended up in the Mayfair parking lot looking at each other's trucks. You know, oh, yeah, that's cool, man. What kind of motor you got? What kind of headers are those? And <clears throat> but anyway, we were sitting there one night with a bunch of guys, and, and I, had my, I didn't have my truck. I was just riding with my friend. And, and uh, this guy was going off about how he knew bad rap. Yeah, I know bad rap. He's a buddy of mine. We four-wheel all the time and everything. And, and we're all just kind of, everybody's looking at me and, like, I don't know this guy. <clears throat> but my buddy starts laughing in his face, and he's like, what? He just wants to fight him. And he goes, that's bad rep right there. And he looked at me, and I said, I don't know you. He's all, oh. I mean, the guy felt like an idiot, but <clears throat> people do that at times, don't they? They try to be friends by acquainting themselves with somebody else or latching on to somebody else. We see Hollywood is a big a big pur purveyor of this. But you see, friendship is a mutual agreement between two people in our world. 
who have a love and a bond with one another. But friendship with Christ is solely His choice. And there are a lot of people who will do just that. Oh, I know Jesus. I hang out with Jesus all the time. <clears throat> what does He say to those when they come to Him and say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in Your name? Did we not heal the sick in Your name? Did we not do all these many wonderful works in Your name? And He says what? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Just as I never knew that guy in Reno, Christ doesn't know half the people who claim to know him as a friend. I'm sure we have all had people in our lives that call us friends but never reciprocated a single favor, never offered a helping hand or thought of us in our time of need, not once but we're always on the receiving end of that relationship. Probably have all had those friends call you when they need something, call you when they need help, always asking, give, 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 but never once offering to help. Those are not friends. Let me just tell you, that's a sucker branch that needs to be cut off. And I'm not saying we don't help people because we are called to help those in need, but we don't enable people to continue in their pattern of take, 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 and never giving anything back. You're not doing that person any favor. The master didn't say to these men, I choose you as my friends, now ask anything you want from me. No. He said, keep my commandments, love one another, go and bear fruit. I'm going to go to the cross for you. I'm going to lay down my life for you so that you may live and have eternal life, but I'm going to require a little something in return. Not in order to save you, but after I save you, then you're going to need to show and bear fruit. Go and bear fruit, I'm sorry. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Let me just clarify this verse. This is not the signed blank check that the purveyors of the gospel or the prosperity gospel will tell you. This is not the, you just need to ask Jesus whatever you want, ask God whatever you want, and make sure you put in Jesus' name at the end of it, and you'll get it. You don't get to ask whatever your own sinful desires can dream up. They'll tell you if you ask God, He, he will not or, or, or cannot deny you. If you ask and, and you're sincere and you put in Jesus' name at the end of it, based on this verse. Let me tell you, let me show you what it, what it really means. If, you want to turn there, you can, but it's in 1 John 5. Clarifies what he's talking about here. It says in verse 14 of 1 John 5, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to what? His will. He hears us. His will. Again, true friends don't ask 
of true friends things that only benefit themselves. If we love each other and the love of the Father is in us, we will only ask what he would ask. Amen? In verse 7 of the same chapter, the Master tells us, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Period. And if it's not, then it could be said of us, you ask and have not because you ask amiss. James is very clear about that. You have not because you ask amiss. You ask for your own selfish desires and pleasures. So what exactly is being said here? Well, I believe that there are two conditions needing to be met in order that this promise be fulfilled. First, if you abide in me. Abiding in Christ signifies the maintaining of a heart communion with Christ. And secondly, if my words abide in you, not only must our hearts be occupied with Christ, as I mentioned last time, but our lives must be regulated by the Scriptures, by His words. Notice He doesn't say, if my word abides in you. He says, if my words. It's not the word as a whole, per se, because remember, all they had in this time for Scriptures were the Law and the Prophets. But Christ had said so many things and taught so many things up to this point. He says, if my words, they'd walked with him for three and a half years, they'd heard some stuff. We have it all right here. In this Bible, the, the letters are in red. But everything that Christ said, or a lot of what he said, is recorded right here. And he's saying, if my words abide in you. Our Lord is speaking. The, the, Lord, the words that our Lord is speaking is what he's talking about and has been speaking to these disciples. It's the precepts and promises of Scripture, properly appropriated and hidden within our hearts. Right? Remember what Jesus said when the devil was tempting him? He said, man does not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's the word within us. My words abiding in you. Remember what abiding means? We talked about this. It means remaining, going on, continuing with. It's not merely saying, read your Bibles for 20 minutes every morning and I'll give you whatever you want. It's not that. <clears throat> no, he's saying when my word is securely lodged within your heart, when every thought and action you have is centered on my words, then you shall ask what you will. And not until then. And, and what exactly would we ask for? I mean, if, if we were abiding in Christ and His words were abiding in us, truly, what would we ask for? Well, I believe we would not ask for wealth, or comfort, or ease. Probably not for any lust of the flesh or heart but only what those words that are abiding in us would ask. Namely, what the Father's will is. What I just read in 1 John 5. 
When a man brings every thought captive into the obedience of Christ, thus by proving what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God, that man's prayers will come to the Father's ears as if his only begotten Son were praying them himself. Are you seeing the picture here? This is not some willy-nilly, give it a half-hearted attempt in the morning so you can check it off the list. And listen, we have <clears throat> such, when we have, I should say, such a view of prayer, it's glorifying to God. Satisfying to our souls, but glorifying to God. One commentator put it this way. I think it was pink, but I can't remember. <clears throat> he says, quote, For one who communes with the Savior and in whom his words dwell richly, supplication is the simple pulsation of a heart that has been won to God. End quote. Let me say that again. For one who communes with the Savior and in whom his words dwell richly, Supplication is the simple pulsation of the heart that has been won to God. You know what he's saying there? That as the blood flows from the feet all the way to the top of the head and all throughout the body, if the words of Christ are in you, it will be the same effect. As the heart beats, the blood circulates. As our heart beats, the word of Christ will permeate our entire being. And if that heart be in you, you will not ask amiss for things that only satisfy your desires. You won't. You won't. Why is there so little power in prayers this day? In prayer this day? Because there is so little close communion with Christ and so little strict conformity to his words. I believe it. Men do not abide in Christ and therefore they pray in vain. And this should be a lesson to us. If we would have our prayers answered, we must do well to remember Christ's words and to keep close communion with that advocate that we have in heaven who sits at the Father's right hand making intercession for us. Would we not want to be in his favor since he's the one sitting there making intercession for us? All right, let's tie a bow around this and finish up. <clears throat> He says in verse 17, These things I command you, that you love one another. Again, who's talking here? It's our Lord, Jesus Christ. Who's he talking to? His disciples. Eleven disciples that are left. The true friends he has left. And what's he telling them? If you don't stick together and love one another, the enemy will pick you off one by one. It's not a suggestion. It's not just good counsel. It's a command. Love one another. And hopefully you will like one another. That you will be friends and brothers and you'll enjoy each other's company as well. So many times people will say, oh, I love him as a brother, but I don't care to be around him. That's not That's not a friend. That's not a brother. That's not one who sticks close. 
love one another. Befriend one another. I say to you all here, go and do likewise. Amen? Let's pray. Father, Lord, what a friend we have in Jesus. Lord, we know that you chose us before the foundation of the earth. You chose us that we would be your friends. Lord, you are our master. You are our Lord. You are all in all to us. But Lord, let us remember that you are our friend as well and that you care deeply for us and that you are there to shoulder the load when we need someone to shoulder the load. But Lord, help us to learn from your example and be that for each other, that we would be willing to set aside whatever it is we're doing to help a brother or sister in need. Come alongside each other, Lord, and shoulder the burden. Lord, by this example, others would look on and know that we are your disciples, that we are your friends. Lord, by your grace, let us do this. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.